You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Al-Qaeda is back, howling online toward whatever lone wolves might be within earshot. The Crisene ICS threat group may be looking beyond the Arabian Gulf. A non-plus is after U.S. state governments. What the EU will expect of you within 72 hours of discovering a breach. The U.S. Congress wants answers about ZTE and Cambridge Analytica. And an alleged dark overlord is nabbed in Serbia. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 17, 2018. Now that ISIS has been considerably disrupted, Al-Qaeda is working online to regain terrorist mindshare lost to ISIS. They're calling from the familiar playbook, but with their own emphasis on inspiring attacks on infidel lands. Al-Qaeda's organization has been more fluid than ISIS's had been, Al-Qaeda, according to reports in Deutsche Welle, is engaged in branding and rebranding with a view to displacing its struggling rival ISIS. The anniversary of the establishment of the modern state of Israel and the move of the U.S. Embassy to that country, to Jerusalem, figure prominently in the group's short-term messaging. Industrial cybersecurity firm Dragos this morning offered new details on the Crisene threat group, specialists in hitting industrial control systems. Associated with the 2012 and 2016 Shamoon attacks on Saudi Aramco, Crisene has, Drago says, developed a sophistication beyond groups like Greenbug, who are also known as Oil Rig. In its update on Crisene, Dragos doesn't discuss attribution, but the Shamoon 1 and Shamoon 2 attacks associated with the threat group have been widely thought to be the work of Iran. Crisene's target list concentrates on the petrochemical, oil, gas, and electric generation sectors. The Drago study notes Crisene's concentration on initial penetration. It compromises a target and then passes the machine it's pwned on for further exploitation. Crisene may be extending its target list beyond its original Arabian Gulf range. The threat group's operations have now been observed in Iraq, Pakistan, Israel, and the United Kingdom. A non-plus, a hacktivist group believed to be based in Italy, has been attacking U.S. state governments. New Mexico is the latest victim, but Idaho and Connecticut were also recently hit. A non-plus in its communiques follows the now-familiar anarcho-syndicalist line. They have no leaders, and so forth, and their principal declared interest is opposition to censorship. It's unclear how defacing a state's workmen's compensation site, among others, fits Anonplus's strategy, but the nuisance value is undeniable. This may be an instance of the familiar hacktivist disposition to hit targets of opportunity, going where defenses permit them to operate easily. 
GDPR takes effect a week from tomorrow, and researchers continue to find sensitive data exposed online. GDPR, the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, is expected to shape both corporate and criminal online behavior. Legitimate organizations will struggle toward compliance, since the regulatory penalties for falling afoul of GDPR are potential business killers. Criminals are already using GDPR-themed spam to induce worried staffers to cough up credentials in phishing expeditions. There are also concerns that breaches could be induced in enterprises with the aim of putting companies out of compliance. That could be done for hacktivist, competitive, or extortion motives. 72 hours is a crucial window under the new data protection regime. Security firm Imperva has a useful timeline explaining what GDPR will require organizations to do within 72 hours of detecting a breach. At a high level of generality, a breached organization must investigate, notify regulators and affected individuals of the breach, specifically state what data was exposed, and express a plan for containing the damage going forward. Any failure to get this done within 72 hours must be explained to the regulators. Absent reasonable justification for the delay, the affected organizations can expect penalties. Drupal is a popular online content management system with millions of users worldwide. The platform recently found itself in the news thanks to a vulnerability that became known as Drupalgeddon 2.0. Ryan Barnett is a principal security researcher at Akamai, and he joins us with his insights. The main issue um, in looking at this, it was a different um, API or application programming interface um, with Drupal. Um, They called a form API. The main issue was um, the applications, they can create um, arrays, right? Different ways to hold data. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem was here is there's actually a, a vulnerability in what's called renderable arrays. And the bottom line is that an attacker, somebody who's non-authenticated, could send uh, from their web browser even um, in a query string um, data that would look like an array, And if they could have that be renderable, they can do remote code execution, Hmm. which is probably the worst case scenario (laughs) from a security perspective. Uh, Because then essentially it's as if the attacker is sitting at the keyboards and they can execute any command they want. And essentially they're running with the um, privileges of whatever the application is running as on the operating system. And so once the update is made and they've made the vulnerability public, the concern is for the folks who don't upgrade right away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That issue is what um, bad guys, criminals, black cats, whatever you want to call them, that's what they live on, right? Is they realize there's going to be a lag from the time something is posted until you can actually get it patched on their system. In this particular case, um, they did a good job, meaning Drupal, of making these releases well known in advance so people could plan. Um, I was actually monitoring on Twitter, um, looking for different hashtags and related to this issue. And it was rather surprising to see how many people were just standing by. Like, is it released yet? You know, I got my mm. team ready. Is it released yet? So the time to fix, quote unquote, is, is a key issue for everybody, right? Not just the Drupal issue. Uh, but most people, from what we've seen, were able to upgrade pretty quickly and get patches installed. What have you seen since that date? Uh, how how bad is it? Uh, like you said, most people have been able to update, but I suppose there are those laggers out there. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's a law of percentages, right? And even if you take a step back and say, hey, 80% of people updated. Great. 
But when you have millions of installs, that 20% is still significant, right? What was interesting in this scenario was the Drupal security team, the patches they made were purposefully vague. They made changes, but it wasn't quite clear from an attacker's perspective, wait a minute, as a remote user, how can I actually exploit this? So that was done on purpose. So Drupal actually did a good job there, right? right. Not saying, hey, you know, attack here and point big <laughs> arrows at it, right? And there were long discussions and threads on multiple forums where people were trying to figure out how can we exploit this? Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? And it went on for two weeks. Um, and actually, it was two weeks later, around April 12th, uh, another security vendor um, they actually went ahead and released a blog post uh, describing how to exploit it. <laughs> mm. um, th their perspective on this, right, you can take different sides of this argument, was they thought some people, perhaps, like you said, if they didn't patch, they might think, oh, well, we don't need to, right, because it's not known that it's publicly being exploited. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a security company's perspective, they say, look, uh, this is a problem, and here we're going to demonstrate how you do need to fix this. So once I reviewed that blog data, I knew immediately, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> because so then there was wave. enough detail. Exactly. And it was within hours. I'd say about three hours. And then, you know, we were able to see, we saw some attacks for the first two weeks, but the payloads they were trying to send, the malicious stuff, it wasn't formatted correctly. It really wasn't doing anything. It was kind of benign. It wouldn't even work. But this second wave, as you said, when that came through, massive scanning attacks um, because it was very easy for attackers to weaponize it at that point. And because these attack payloads, they're not specific to a um, specific site or implementation of Drupal, the, the kind of category of attacker I label this as is random opportunistic, hmm. where they don't really care to break into website X, right? They're looking for any website that this can uh, work on because they have end goals of installing their you know, favorite toolkits to do different things. So the more IPs they can hit and, and web servers and send this, the better. So they just want to do massive kind of spray scanning all over the place. So that's why it spiked up on our radar. That's Ryan Barnett from Akamai. The U.S. House wants a full report from the Department of Homeland Security on security issues surrounding ZTE. The Senate Appropriations Committee also wanted some answers, and in their case, they heard from FBI Director Christopher Wray, who, while declining to name corporate names, expressed the Bureau's security reservations this way, quote, We at the FBI remain deeply concerned that any company beholden to foreign governments that don't share our values are not companies that we want to be gaining positions of power inside our telecommunications network. That gives them the capacity to maliciously modify or steal information. That gives them the capacity to conduct undetected espionage. That gives them the capacity to exert pressure or control. End quote. The U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee was also busy. In their case, they heard from Christopher Wiley, the whistleblower in the Cambridge Analytica case. Wiley said he had no knowledge of whether the now-defunct company, in its use of Facebook data, had supported the activities of the Internet Research Agency, the now-famous St. Petersburg Troll Farm. He did, however, say that Cambridge Analytica, quote, made a lot of noise to companies and individuals connected to the Russian government, end quote. He dismissed the notion that Cambridge Analytica was an ordinary marketing research operation, 
saying that Cambridge Analytica specialized in disinformation, spreading rumors, compromat, and propaganda. Finally, remember Dark Overlord? That's the hacking group that tried most famously to extort Netflix, threatening to release hacked copies of Orange is the New Black. Serbian police have popped one alleged Dark Overlord ringmaster, an unnamed 38-year-old man who lives in Belgrade, so far only identified by the initials SS. The Dark Overlord's modus operandi was a bit different. Instead of trying to sell stolen data on the dark web, the group would steal data, demonstrate to the owners that they'd done so, and demand a ransom for returning it unreleased. Motherboard this morning heard from SS's colleagues, who want everyone to know that they're still in business. So you've still got quarry out there, law enforcement. Good hunting. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, welcome back. Um, Last year, you testified before the House Energy and Commerce Committee, specifically the Subcommittee on Communications and Technology. They were having a hearing on promoting security and wireless technologies. Um, And you covered a lot of ground. But one of the things that caught my eye was um, something we talk about a lot, which is 
this workforce issue, the shortage of qualified cybersecurity folks. But there was a, a, an even more specific area uh, that was interesting, and that's when it comes to telecom infrastructure. Um, we may be having a skills gap when it comes to universities training people to be prepared for this subset of the industry. What can you share there? Well, the cybersecurity industry is uh, has has a massive shortage of jobs nationwide, worldwide, really. The statistics show that uh, here in the Washington D.C. metropolitan area, for example, there's uh, 42,000 empty jobs in cybersecurity. Um, so there's a huge shortfall that we need to address, and universities across the board are, are struggling to expand their curriculum offerings to keep up with uh, the demand. Um, now, I think that if you look at where a lot of those investments have been made, as many universities try to address that gap, they're focusing on uh, many of the more traditional IT security uh, challenges. So things like defending a traditional IT network from, from attacks or software engineering uh, and, and writing secure code. And while all these things are really important, we're starting to see a fundamental shift in the DNA of the Internet. As the Internet of Things comes along, it's not so much just the security of of an app that's on my phone uh, or um, a, a cloud service that I might be using that's that's important. Uh, now I need to worry about the security of connected infrastructure. I need to worry about the security of telecommunications infrastructure. And so far, we haven't really seen universities scaling up to be able to address uh, that unique gap, which is, is going to be an area that we will continue to see need for uh, as the DNA of the Internet shifts from the social mobile Internet to the Internet of Things. And as you have uh, students come through your program, you advise a lot of these students in the research that you do. Uh, how do you handle the radio spectrum side of things? You know, that that's different than, um, than, than bits and bytes. Uh, exactly. Uh, so just as an example, uh, here at Virginia Tech, we've we've launched a new course in, in wireless and telecommunications security. Um, we've launched a new course in embedded and industrial control system security that will uh, approach these uh, somewhat unique fields from a security perspective. And we're seeing a lot of interest uh, from students in, in those courses, in particular in employers. Uh, we have a number of, of large companies that are um, – unable to hire people who have both cyber-physical systems expertise and security expertise. Typically, they'll have one or the other, and they'll need to cross-train them uh, after they hire them. Yeah, so uh, perhaps an opportunity for uh, some of those students uh, coming up in an area that uh, hasn't received a lot of attention. Uh, indeed, and one that is going to need a lot of attention, particularly as, as the, the nature of the Internet continues to shift more towards uh, the Internet of Things. Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.